welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Schell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Father, we love you. We love your word. We want to understand it. We want to live it. We don't want to just have information. We want to have revelation. So come, Holy Spirit, open the word and grace me to speak it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. All right, I've been born again, step number one. I see the death in this sin and truly want to be free, step number two. God has shown me his call on my life, and I hate the temptations that are trying to derail my service to him. Step number three. I realize these intruding thoughts don't originate in my heart, but what I'm experiencing are impulses from my body and spiritual assaults from the enemy and the torment of living in a fallen world. Step number four. Yet when, when these temptations come, they are very real. And I need more help than this. I need to know how to respond in the moment when they arrive. I need practical steps, not just theory. What, what must I do in order to let the Holy Spirit deliver me from when thoughts of fear, anger, lust, envy, depression burst into my consciousness? There are undoubtedly many ways to handle mental temptation. But the one I will share with you today is a simple practical step. I have learned that extinguishes the temptations and troubling thoughts that seem to arrive in my conscious mind from nowhere. I have practiced this discipline for many years, and it really works for me. It's likely you have heard me recommend it before, but it's impossible for me to talk about steps to freedom without including it. Numerous people have reported to me that they have tried it, and it has worked for them as well. My first exposure to this process began years ago when I heard a pastor, Tom Ferguson, describe how he responded to temptation. Then these verses in Romans 8, 4 through 6, took on new meaning. Tom was our superintendent when Mary and I first moved to Oak Harbor. He pastored in, in Everett, and he later became our supervisor. And I loved Tom a great deal. And He's the kind of man who would, who would talk to the Lord, and the Lord would talk to him. And, and you could tell it was really from God. It wasn't just, you know, you know people who say, God told me this, and you're thinking, yeah. But he wasn't one of those. When Tom would be around, I'd just have a little notepad, because <laughs> I'd be writing stuff every time I was around this guy. And I don't, I don't, it wasn't a, he wasn't teaching in some formal setting or something, but somewhere along the line he said, uh, to just a bunch of us, he said, you know, when those temptations come, he said, I just take my mind and I just turn it away. And I thought to myself, you can do that? I didn't know you could do that. I mean, everybody had, all, all I, I'd ever been taught is, you know, stuff comes in and, you know, resist it. You know, so like, like you're going to, and, and, and it hadn't worked particularly well. Uh, but he said, no, I, I just take my mind and I just turn it away. And that's where I began to suddenly realize there was, a, there was something here. And then when you come to Romans 8, I want you to see Romans 8 verses 1 through 6. 
I believe this is the heart of what Paul is, is, is touching on. Something right along this line. Go with me there, would you? In fact, let's read um, verse 1 out loud together. Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't you love it? Let's do it again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. And what, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Would you say set your, their minds? Now, it's extremely important. Notice this. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, and Paul would have said, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. I'm going to explain those verses one by one later on. Let's start by remembering, first of all, what is new. When a person becomes born again, Let's remember what happens to us. First of all, my spirit, and we talked about this last time, I believe, or two, two weeks ago. My spirit, the essential me, has renounced my independence and rebellion toward God. Now I love him and want to obey him. If you've given your heart to really know the Lord, you've been born again, then you have repented. Repented of what? You've repented of your independence and your rebellion. It's a general thing. It's a, it's a whole attitude toward God. No longer am I running away. No longer am I trying to live without him. Now I trust him and I, I come and put my hand in his and say, I need you and I know it. That's repentance. So how many have repented in here? Yeah. You, and you, you know you, you love him and you want to please him, right? Doing so is another matter. But your heart wants to. Second thing, that takes place. God has given me the gift of righteousness because I have placed my faith in the death and resurrection of his son Jesus. Therefore, I am sinless before him and a suitable dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul is explaining here in, in this, these, those verses you, we just read. Paul is saying, in order for God to change us and set us free, he had to forgive us so that the Holy Spirit could dwell inside us. See, we can't do it without the power of God. We can't do it without help. You and I need the Holy Spirit so God could not come and dwell in an unclean temple. He won't live in us apart from the washing of the blood of Jesus. It's because Jesus covers you that God can come and stay inside of you and not leave. Somebody say, thank heavens. Now, let's remember what's old. That's what's, that's what's new in a born-again person, but let's remember what's old. Even after I become born again, I still live in a fallen world. Do you? Yeah. I am still exposed to spiritual assaults from the enemy. Do you? Me too. And I still experience sinful impulses from my unredeemed body. Do you? Now, 
And the resurrection, we get a new body that doesn't fight the spirit. Aren't we going to be glad to have that one? But till then, you've got this, uh, this donkey that you drag around. Let's listen again to how the Bible describes two of these. The two I want to focus on is my rebellious flesh and my unseen enemy. Look with me. If you're still in Romans 8, Romans 7 shouldn't be far away. Uh, look at Romans 7, verse 15. We've, we've looked at this, but listen afresh. Listen to what Paul's saying. He says, for what I'm doing, I don't understand. I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. He says, I'm out of control. I want to obey God, but there are forces and powers that work in me, dragging me along, and I can't. I'm out of control. Verse 16, but if I do the very thing I want to do, uh, pardon me, if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law. Confessing the law is good. I admit God's, God's word, his standards, his morals are right. They're the right thing to do. I admit that. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now please notice, he, he, he has two players here. There's me, the, the new me, who wants to please God and loves his law. That is not an unsafe person. And then there's this sin which has a mind of its own. And he tells us where this sin lives. Look at the next verse. He says, I know nothing good dwells in me. That is where? In my flesh. Okay. So there's me and there's this body of mine with a mind of its own. You see that? For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good I want, I do not do, but practice the very evil I don't want. If I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, my spirit, but sin which dwells in me. I'm getting dragged around by forces that are too strong for me. See? I find then the principle that evil is present in me, and he's already told us where it is. Where is it? In the flesh. Please distinguish that. My spirit is new. My spirit loves him. My spirit loves his law. My spirit loves the Lord. My spirit wants to obey. But I got in my flesh powers and forces that are too big for me, and they're dragging me around. I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, my, which is he's expressing his spirit that wants to obey, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my, my body, my flesh, my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Who's going to release me from, this, from these powers that are controlling me and not allowing me to be free? And then he says, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. On the one hand, I am with my mind, my spirit, is serving the law of God. On the other, with my flesh, it's going after the law of sin. The appetites and passions of the body are unredeemed, even after you're saved. Old ways of thinking, Paul will go on to say later in Romans, have to be re re renewed as well. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I still have old thinking that, that's still in there, and I have these appetites and passions of a body that are not redeemed. They aren't obeying the Lord. Second thing, 
I want you to see. That was your rebellious flesh. Second is my unseen enemy. Look with me at Ephesians 6 for a minute. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on any of this because I know it's something of a review, but I want you to just make sure those pieces are in place. Ephesians 6 verse 12. Now listen to what Paul says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Meaning who? People. Human beings. But against the rulers, against the powers, against world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Who's that? We're not fighting against people. We're fighting against what? Spiritual. Yeah, not Satan and all of his kingdom. You know, actually, if you get into the language of that thing, it's like different layers of authority. He's going right down almost a, a hierarchy of demonic authority. And he's saying our, our fight is against the, a spiritual kingdom. There's an entire demonic force uh, headed by Satan, but all of these that work for him. And that's who we're fighting. Then verse 16. In addition to all... He then says, we need a spiritual armor. And then he says, in addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the, what's your say? Flaming arrows. I mean, if it's King James, it's fiery darts. Flaming arrows of the evil one. The devil has access to your thoughts. Now, you knew that, but somebody needed to say it. So you don't think you're crazy. Or the only one. The picture he has here is ancient warfare where the, where the, where the archers would put a, a glob of tar on the end of, a, of an arrow and fire it over the walls of a city with the hope that it would stick in a thatched roof, uh, you know, some kind of wood, and set the city on fire. And so he pictures the devil as having this opportunity to shoot fiery darts into our minds. And where he's, he's planting ideas. So all the ideas that go through your head aren't from you. They come in from outside. That's what he's telling us. What may begin as a normal body appetite, if left unchecked, will become a point of demonic control. Can this happen to Christians? Absolutely, it can happen to Christians. We're not talking about possessing of your spirit or anything like that. But I'm telling you, you and I can give points of control, points of influence, points of domination in which the devil begins to pull us around. And, and, and how does it happen? It, hap- it starts generally in areas where there is, a, there is a, a normal appetite, but it has been left unchecked. You and I have all sorts of appetites and God's given them to us. But if we simply put no, if we don't, if they aren't contained, if they aren't placed within the boundaries God gives us, they become very destructive. Our sexuality is a very great gift from God. But oh my, if, if we do not keep it within the boundaries that God gives us, it becomes a tremendously destructive force. It'll pull your family apart. It'll ruin your career. It'll ruin your ministry. It can destroy you. So we have within us an appetite which if kept checked and undisciplined within the boundaries the Lord's given it, it's a beautiful thing. Outside of that, it begins to drag us and control us and enslave us. John 8, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. That's where it goes. Uh, You start out and giving into the thing, but in time it controls you, you don't control it. 
Appetite grows with the eating. Would you say that with me? Now, that's not the Bible. It's just, but it's, it's, it's good wisdom. In other words, the more I eat, the hungrier I become. It expands my appetite. Now, satiation, that means that where you become full. Satiation is the momentary calming of an appetite when we give it what it craves. We've gone through a season in American thinking, um, Western thinking, where what you need to do with your temper or your whatever it is, is just express it. Let it out. The picture, I think, emotionally is like vomiting. Are you angry? Let it out. Bah! I'm not going to take it anymore. And the idea is kind of bleh. And then now I feel better. <sighs> How does it work? What happens when you learn to just give vent to your anger? Give voice to it. Come on. Don't repress it. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger till you are rageaholic. These appetites, you do not solve them by satiating them, by giving into them, by, by, by giving them what they want in the moment. You feed your fear, you'll get a bigger one. You feed your lust, you'll get more. When we, when we repeatedly disobey an aspect of God's moral law, we open the door for demonic influence to have a foothold in our lives. It's, it's like there's a door to your house. And if every time the devil comes and tries this door, it opens for him. He will continue to keep coming through the door. I mean, it, and, and he, he's not, he's not going to be merciful. He's not going to just stop saying, oh, I've harassed the guy enough. It, as long as the door opens, he'll come through it. So the door has to be locked. You ha it has to stop the, the, the cycle. We must lock the door or the enemy will keep coming through it. The effect of demonic influence is like gasoline thrown on a flame. Suddenly, the temptation rages. It controls you. You don't control it. You've got some area. You're dealing with, you know what it is, in depression. You're dealing with depression. You're, 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 you're going along. The thing has been holding and staying in your life. And then some moment comes along when suddenly all you can think of is killing yourself. I mean, it's just, you're just sweating bullets. It's all, you're making it through the day, not killing yourself. The thing takes on a life of its own. There's, a, there's an amplification to it. Do I think all, de all depression is demonic? No. But I'm going to, I mean, you're talking to a guy that knows depression. And there is a demonic element that comes into it. No question. And... I can, one of the ways I saw it so clearly is when I'd hit some really dark patches and, I, and I'm, just, I'm just deeply in this thing and Mary would go like outside the room and pray in tongues and I not, with it, not even me knowing it and suddenly in an instant the, the depression would break. I mean not I would get better over the next few hours or, or there would be no kind of gradual improvement. One blink of the eye, I'm as depressed as I can, I can barely breathe. The next blink of the eye, I am completely normal. And I would I'd go out looking for her. Where are you? And because I can tell I have been prayed for. 
there's been a spiritual thing that's been lifted off of me like that. There's a flame, there's a wound, there's, there's wounds in our lives, there's appetites in our lives, and those, they, they're, there they are. But suddenly the enemy comes along and throws gas on it. And it just goes, Poof. You, have a, you have a temper. But all of a sudden, you'll come into, rage comes in, and, and you could kill somebody. It's just gone from zero to 60. And you understand the process? You've... Remember, in all of this, to gain victory, you must not own these temptations. Don't look inside and ask what's wrong with me that I could have such awful thoughts. Your spirit's whole. Remember that. But you've got a body with appetites of its own. You've got a spiritual force, an enemy that wants to come in if we'll give him place. We live in a world. Now, let's talk about flee, don't fight. The appetites of my body are a force of nature. And the flaming arrows sent into my thoughts come from a tireless spiritual source. So to win this battle, I must first recognize that I am too weak to fight alone. Would you say I am too weak to fight alone? I mean, this is a huge lesson that has to get learned. And and it isn't a given. I am too weak to fight alone. Those who promise to stop and rely on their willpower to do so, are doomed to failure. Look at what are you up against? All right, first of all, you're up against a body that doesn't, is incessant. It's a force of nature. It's like trying to stop the wind. And then you're dealing with the devil. The devil's a spirit. He never gets tired. So somebody says, okay, I got it. I hate this sin. I'm never going to do it anymore ever. I promise. Trust me in this. And what are, what are they relying on? Their willpower. You bet. I'm going to handle this. Trust me now. Trust me. I hate this thing. I'll never do this again. You just know they're going to do it again. Why? Because they're saying, with my willpower, I'm going to win. And so it's an arm wrestling match. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, let's suppose you, you got it. And you're fighting against a force of nature, which doesn't give up. It'll be there tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. It's just, yeah, there it is. You're fighting against the devil. He doesn't get tired. He's a spirit. He has no weariness. So it's just a matter of when. Just a matter of when. And if you get that in your head, if you understand, that's what Paul's saying. What the law could not do, make us righteous. Make us love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and soul and our neighbor as ourself. It couldn't do it. Why? Because of the weakness of our flesh, he said. This stuff, these forces, we are against, up against forces that are too great for us. So, for, uh, for God to set us free, he had to send his son to die for us so that he could fill us with the spirit. Then we have a choice then we have access to the power we'll need. We need many miracles a day to overcome. Having described the futility and frustration of someone trying to obey God without the help of the indwelling Holy Spirit, that was Romans 7 that we looked at, Paul goes on to explain the solution that God has provided. That's Romans 8. Now look, what if you've got Romans 8 open, would you open that? And just kind of follow with your eye, and I'm going to just paraphrase in my own words what each of these verses mean. 
Verse 1 is, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Paul is saying, even in the midst of this struggle, a sincere believer is not condemned, but stands righteous before God. He's just described this tremendous struggle, and he says, but therefore, there is now no condemnation. What that means is, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, even if you're failing, even if you're being tempted and harassed and you're failing, you're still forgiven. Now that, that's how come we're going to make it to heaven, folks. That's, that is why you, if you want to go to heaven, you can. I don't care how weak you are, how broken you are. I don't care what's going on in your life. If you want to go to heaven, a salvation has been provided for you that you can go to heaven. All that you do is maintain your faith in Jesus Christ. And you say, well, I've been at this. I've been struggling with this for years. Got it. And if you have genuine, you love Jesus, you're forgiven. Now, what you don't know is how to get out. That's why we're having this conversation today. But you are forgiven. That has, so Paul says, first of all, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, he says, for the law of the spirit of life, in other words, the power of the Holy Spirit that comes to us through Jesus Christ has set you free from this gripping power of sin and death. We are no longer helpless slaves. We have received the Holy Spirit. Someone say, thank heavens. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, Weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. It is simply not possible to obey God without the Holy Spirit. And God cannot give the Spirit until Christ washes a person clean. Verse 4. So that the requirement of the law... All this, more, the, the, the moral law, love the God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. As a believer, I now have a choice. If, if I turn to the Spirit, I will find the power to overcome. God's goal is not just to forgive me, but to bring me to the place where I completely fulfill his moral law. See, he hasn't changed the plan. You are going to be set free. You are being cleaned. You are being made like Jesus. That's the, that's the whole process. But to have that happen, he had to give you the Holy Spirit. God had to free us from his judgment against us so he could take up residence inside us and empower us to obey him. And he, for, he forgave us so he could come to help us. Isn't that beautiful? All right, verses 5 and 6. As we've seen, there are many forces confronting us which we can't control. There is one thing we can control, and that is where we direct the attention of our conscious mind. Now, the word, and I, I give it to you, a, a, a transliteration in, in, of the Greek for this purpose. I want you to see that what I'm, I'm telling you right now is not my invention. I'm not, I'm not playing or gaming it. This is what the word means. And then I give a reference to a very respectable commentary that says that. So it says here in verse 5, Those who are according to the flesh, phronusen, they set their minds. They, it, it has the word mind in it, but it's the idea of placing your mind on a thing. They place their mind on it. 
It's, it's, it's really fixing your attention on the things of the flesh. Those who are according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. If I habitually focus my mind on fulfilling the various passions and appetites of my body, I will be drawn back into that bondage we spoke of and spiritual death. But if I am tempted, pardon me, if when I am tempted, I turn the attention of my mind away from the temptation and look to the Holy Spirit for help and guidance, he will show me what to do in the moment. By obeying God in this way, I will enter into a life of blessing. Paul says, here's the key. When all of these difficulties and troubles come, the Spirit's there. How do I access Him? I set my mind on Him. I turn my attention and look to Him. Now, I'm going to describe in just a minute uh, a very practical way of doing that. But I want you to see a boundary that God's given you. This is a precious promise. This is worth memorizing. I I did when I was in junior high school. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Would you read it with me? No temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Now, what did he just say? He said, first of all, anything that's tempting you, we all have probably experienced it too. He says there's just basically common temptation to everybody. So I suppose we all have different emphases, but we all are waiting in the same tempting situations. We get tempted to just like you do. So don't think you're unusual. We're all facing what you're facing. By the way, do an LTG, one of these life transformation groups, and that is exactly what you discover. <laughs> you say, like, well, man, we're all dealing with this, aren't we? We are. But then, what it, then he says this, God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Your heavenly Father watches over your life, and he will always see to it that you... That no temptation comes which is so strong and you are so helpless in it that it will overcome you. He will always, in that moment, provide you something. Now, what does it say he'll provide you? A way of escape. Say that. A way. Notice what he doesn't say. He'll provide you with the strength to stand strong in the face of temptation. Dun, dun, dun. He says... He'll open a door and you can get out of there. He'll help you flee. Now that might not do much for your pride, but it's what it says. He says, when you're tempted, your heavenly father will always see to it. There's a way for you to run. Notice the verses I give you there. 1 Corinthians 6.18, Paul says, flee immorality. 10.14, he says, flee from idolatry. He's talking to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.11. But flee from these things, you man of God. And he's talking there about the love of money. 2 Timothy 2.22. Now flee from youthful lusts. Notice what he's telling him to do. Flee, run, don't fight, don't stand there and be tough. Flee somewhere. I came across this when I was, uh, we were, had the message on, on, uh, on revival. And I was just reading through stuff, and I, and, I, and I came across this passage, and it's, it's 
it's quoting from John Wesley's journal. John Wesley in the 1700s started what has become the Methodist church. Uh, he was one of the greatest organizers and, and, and church leaders, I think, of church history. He was a remarkable man. And I'm going to just for fun, I'm going to read you the first entry where he gets saved. And uh, because he, he went to a Pentecostal church to get saved. So if I sound a little biased, I am. But all right, now listen, listen to this. This is, this is his journal of, of Wednesday, May 24, 1738. In the evening, I went to very unwillingly, some of you came today the same way, to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading, the, reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, 8.45 in the evening, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. What happened? Spirit's coming over the guy. And it's got, he's been given the gift of faith. I mean, suddenly the lights are on. The guy's been touched by God. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Now, that's Wednesday, May 24. Two days later is the next entry in his journal, Friday. Listen to what he said on Friday. My soul continued in peace, but yet in heaviness because of manifold temptations. Okay, so he gets saved on Wednesday and he's hammered on by Friday. With the, got it? Anybody experience something like this? I asked Mr. Telchig, the Moravian, that's the Pentecostal, what to do. He said, and please listen, you must not fight with them as you did before, but flee from them the moment they appear and take shelter in the wounds of Jesus. There it is. You do not fight with them as you did before, but you flee from them and take shelter in the wounds of Jesus. I'll, let me describe how one way I would suggest. I call this the oops moment. We generally recognize a temptation only after it has started. We suddenly catch ourselves heading down a wrong pattern of thoughts. We recognize I'm getting depressed. I'm thinking, feeling, looking at that again. This moment of discovery is, is the oops moment. You, you see what I'm trying to say? You, you don't, there's not an announcement that says, you are now going to be tempted. You, you suddenly are in it, right? I don't know what there is about me, and it's probably not a good thing to admit, but I generally, I often wake up grumpy. My wife does not, and aren't we grateful God gave me her? But I do, and I wake up thinking about the problems, whatever they are. I did this morning. I don't have to work at that. It's effortless. It's unconscious. And I suddenly sitting there, maybe I'm shaving or whatever, and realizing, oh, I'm doing that again. I'm fixated on a problem. There I am working on it. 
you, in the middle of the temptation, you suddenly go, oops, there I go. I'm at it again, aren't I? That's the critical moment right there. That moment when you suddenly discover, oop, act immediately. The sooner the better. The longer a temptation is allowed to persist, the deeper its grip. It's just like that fiery arrow. When it lands, if you give it time, that fire will spread. So get it out as fast as, as instantly. Do not delay one moment once you realize it. Shift the focus of your mind to Christ. You do not fight this thing. I don't have to say... Now, let's think happy thoughts every day in every way, Steve. You're getting better and better. Every day in every way, you're getting better and better. I'm not, I'm not fighting this thing. I recognize I'm in it. Oops. And then what am I going to do? I'm going to flee in my mind to Christ. I'm not going to fight this thing. I'm going to simply look at him. And here's how I do it. I picture him in my mind. His cross, his blood, his glorious face. This is what I do. I picture him. Please note, I don't find it helps to think theological truths about him or even say things. I need to visualize him. Somehow the imagination has to be in this thing. That's the part of the brain. You take and you imagine. And I imagine... uh, I imagine him, and then I hold my attention there until the temptation lets go. Here it comes. In my mind's eye, simply look at Jesus. His face, his cross, I see him, even sometimes just his blood. I just see it, and I just hold my imagination on that until I can feel this let go. How long does it take? Two seconds, five seconds, sometimes 15 seconds, if it's a bad one. Very quick. Very easy. No effort. These powerful things, what am I doing? I'm simply fleeing to Christ and the Holy Spirit breaks the thing for me. I've been doing it for years. Apparently, it's been out on life lessons, and people are listening there. And I've had two letters in the last couple of weeks saying, it works. And I've had a number of you tell me the same thing. He has provided a place to flee. He has provided a way for us. If I perceive it to be a spiritual assault, I may forcefully rebuke it by saying no, or I bind it. These steps can be done very subtly. I don't have to draw attention to myself. Please note this. You do not have to in the, na- you know, in the, in the middle of the market or, or, or your workplace or church. Say, I bind you, devil. You know, please don't for, for all of our sakes. Don't do this. This can be done very subtly. I can be talking to you. Have something come in. Deal with it and keep talking and you won't even know I did it. This is not some loud, violent thing. It's, a very, it's interior. It's simply I know where to go in my mind when an assault comes. 
I simply set my mind on Christ and let the spirit break the temptation's grip. It is really quite easy. Let's practice. You ready? Why don't you put some things down here? We're going to just do this a minute. Now you can close your eyes or you can have them open, whatever you want. How would you envision Jesus right now? Would you, I mean, in, in your imagination, just, this is just your imagination. How would you envision him on the cross? Would you see his face? Would you see his, 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 his blood? Would you see what? Would just, just right now, I'd like you just picture him. Just allow your imagination to see him. And just hold your attention there. Thank you, Lord. When the next assault, the next temptation, the next thing wants to come, and the thoughts come, just flee right there to Jesus. And hold your thought on him. And watch the power of it let go. Father, we thank you that you are a, a father who watches over us. There's no temptations taken us, but such as common to man. But you are faithful, who will not allow us to be tempted beyond that which we are able to bear, but will, with the temptation, make a way of escape. And you have indeed done this, Lord. And so I just pray, Father, that as as, as we go forward, full of the Holy Spirit, with hearts and spirits that love the Lord, that you will teach each of us our own way now of being free from the control of the flesh, free from the fiery darts of the enemy, free to become the men and women we've called, been called to be, free to lock the door, free to keep that thing from cycling and the enemy having his way to control us. Thank you for freedom. What glorious, beautiful freedom, Jesus for you've given us the spirit and your blood to cover our lives. We love you. We honor you. We worship you. Great Lord and freeing one. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.